Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 30 of Inside AgriTurf. Hello again and glad you could join me. Now something I've learned whilst putting together this series of podcasts are the different directions from which many successful people have taken before, before finding their way into the agriturf machinery industry. With virtually zero advice about our sector being available to those who advise school leavers, many stumble upon it by accident and end up realising that they have found their niche. Now one such person is my guest today, Neil Harper, who has had wide experience within dealerships, who today is responsible for specifying and buying substantial quantities of machinery and equipment in his role as machinery manager for Glendale, one of the UK's leading green space management companies. So Neil, uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, Now growing up, did you have any background or connection with agriculture? Uh, well, not really, because my father worked in a, a garage as a panel beater. Uh, decided one day that he wanted to change his career options, so uh, took a truck license and ended up driving livestock trucks. Uh, so we ended up uh, at a farm in Reading, where he got a job driving uh, Articulate trucks. So that we ended up living on the farm, and I never really had a massive interest in farming, but I did have an interest in trucks, so I was wanting to be a truck driver but also had an interest in mechanical items. So the tractors and machinery on the farm fascinate me far more than the actual farming process. Yeah. So, um, so, but I still wanted to be a truck driver. So <laughs> I so, had no real interest in agriculture engineering at an early age. So when you left school, uh, what was the next step from that then, Neil? Uh, well, I left school still wanting to be a truck driver, but um, having looked around at what I could do as a, um, a gap filler until I became a truck driver. I found into agriculture engineering due to the fact that we had quite a lot of mechanics turn up on the farm to repair the machinery. So I got talking to them and they suggested it. Uh, so I've got a college course at Berkshire College of Agriculture. Um, so that's how, that's how I got into it, still thinking it was going to be a stopgap until I could be 21 and pass my truck test. Yeah. And uh, how long did this course last then, Neil? Uh, so it was a two-year course, um, and it was a block release. So I got placed with a local engineering company um, and then found out that actually I really liked ag engineering and I didn't ever go back to the truck driving. <laughs> you got you got the bug bug then. And and so uh, you, you got a job, I believe, with a John Deere dealer. Was that right? Yes. There was a local dealer called Kyle Agricultural Services. Yep. Based in Brams Hill, just south of Reading. So I started there from when I left college. Uh, well, I was there during college, and then they gave me a position once I left college. I stayed there until I got made redundant um, uh, when I was about 21. Okay, and, and what happened from there then? Uh, I then moved to East Sussex and joined another John Deere dealer called Rice's. Uh, we're based in East Grinstead. Uh, and was there for several years before uh, being made redundant again because um, they went out of business. And then I went to work for the sales manager, as was then, who started up his own company um, and worked for those them for a couple of years. And I understand you, you, you then had a spell in, in the recycling business. Who was with that with? Uh, so, yeah, I started, uh, strangely, that was another accidental uh, job 
move. I moved house and a local free ad had been stuffed through the door. So I was flicking through it and saw a job for Kendall Machinery, which was repairing bandit wood chippers and the like. Um, so just inquired out of interest and discovered that um, both the guy, I knew David Kendall, who ran that company, uh, he used to be in Matros. So I went along for an interview, discovered there was another ag engineer that had come from a John Deere dealer working there already. Uh, two of us ended up covering most of the UK for the wood chippers and the recycling machinery. Okay. I, I think uh, when we had a, a chat earlier on, you, you said that uh, when you were looking for everybody, anybody to work for the company, particularly in the technical uh, role, uh, you always looked around for agricultural engineers. Is, is that right? Yes, yes. They have a certain mindset of an agricultural engineer is when being faced with an almost impossible task on site, it's not <laughs> to leave it and come back the following day and fix it. Which was certainly the case with the recycling machinery that um, you normally needed to be on site fairly early, diagnose the problem and then stay there until it was repaired and back up and running again because some of the larger machines would cost a lot of money in downtime if they weren't running. Um, and ag engineers are very, very good at doing that, being on site with the customer breathing down their neck and we'll find a workaround or we'll stay there and even fabricate something to be able to make that machine work again and get it up and running. Yeah. So agricultural engineering was then, rather than truck driving in, in your blood, uh, how long did you stay uh, at the recycling companies and, and did any more? So another opportunity crop up to, to go to an agricultural engineer? Uh, so I was I was with Kendall's for about four years um, and then uh, List and Recycling, which was um, another company started by Dave when he um, stopped doing the bandit chippers and we went into stump grinders, but pretty much the same sort of thing. And then I moved to Haynes, which is a large Holland dealer in the southeast. Uh, I was actually headhunted by the sales manager of the JCB side at the time. Mm-hmm me to come and work in the workshop in the fledgling agritech business which was set up as the jcb arm of haynes yes um so i i then uh, took the plunge and went back into the ag engineering world um as a service technician working for haynes and you progressed through that company uh yes yeah, so i started off as a service technician um and then progressed through the workshop to foreman uh up to eventually being the service manager for the, just the JCB side. And then I ended up being the service manager for the whole of their Sussex branch. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, Haynes are, are, are a big company. They're in cars, trucks and uh, automotive generally, as well as ag. Yeah. Uh, was that an advantage, <coughs> having have that very broad-based engineering? Was there much cross-reference between the different divisions at all, or did you stay very much as you were? Uh, we, we very much tended to stay uh, in, so the agricultural division would very much stay, it would keep to itself. I mean, obviously we used vehicles that were supplied by the automotive and truck divisions, um, but we didn't tend to cross over very much. So, uh, so when then, Neil, did the opportunity to join Glendale come about? Uh, as a, another accidental. Um, <laughs> Story of our lives. <laughs> I was sitting there in a lunch break one day, flicking through the Farmers Weekly, and then came across the job section. And in the job section was the advertisement for Glendale for a machinery manager. And listed was all the responsibilities which covered um, machinery, tractors, um, compliance of their HGV and vehicle fleets, etc., but purely based in the southeast. Um, and it looks like a really interesting job opportunity. So mm, I, I can imagine. sent a speculative um, inquiry about it. 
got a reply back saying that um, we'd be quite interested to talk to you. And it went from there. And I, but I think it, it sort of went quiet for a couple of months. And then they came back and um, scheduled an interview for me, uh, made it sound like a very attractive job. So I then took the plunge and went for that. So, so how would you describe your, your role now? And, and how different is it, uh, Neil, to that of working, uh, particularly as a service manager for, for Haynes? Uh, uh, is, is a lot of it the same or um, or, or there real real differences? Uh, there's some differences in that I don't have any staff I'm responsible for, so I'm pretty much responsible for myself. Mm-hmm. I now cover the whole of the UK for Glendale mm-hmm. in the machinery manager's role. Uh, I, I liaise with dealers and manufacturers, which is very similar to my service management job, because we do have uh, instances where, um, having come from inside a dealer network, it's it's easier for me to understand how the dealer works. When some of the, the guys that we've got running our contracts don't always understand how the dealer works, I'm sure they think sometimes there are people just sitting on the end of a phone waiting for them to break respond to it. They don't understand that there could be 200 other machines that have broken down on the same day. They're one of many. But it's it's very interesting because I get involved now with our business development team with uh, new bids and tenders where we are looking to spec certain types of machinery. I have to find uh, innovations and new ways of doing things, new efficiencies, and work with manufacturers and dealers to come up with those solutions. Now, Glenn, Glendale is is part of a group, uh, isn't it? The Parkwood Group, I, I think, yes. who run leisure centres, and they've also got golf centres. Uh, is there any crossover of your role into those areas at all? There is not so much with Parkwood Leisure um, because they pretty much look after themselves. There is with the golf side because some of the machinery is is crossover between um, what what I do, which is work for uh, Glendale Grounds Maintenance, which is their core green services company. Mm-hmm. Get involved with the golf side um, on a machinery level. Not quite as much as I used to now because they're becoming more self-sufficient as they align themselves with the leisure business. Most of my work is involved with the actual Glendale ground side, which covers, we have arboricultural divisions, uh, we have a tree moving division, uh, landscaping division, etc. So, uh, Can you give me some idea um, in, in terms of units, of the, of the uh, size of the fleets that you're managing? Uh, so uh, plant and asset wise is probably around i mean it fluctuates every year depending on what we lose um through natural wastage and what we acquire from uh, buying new equipment but it ranges around around the five and a half thousand assets machinery and then we have roughly around 650 to 750 vehicles and hgvs running and your so your responsibility for those uh, it extends to those as well does it neil uh yeah because i'm mainly field based i i look after the uh assets and plant machinery lists on the ground and make sure that what our head office think is on the ground is actually there. <laughs> I also help with the HGV compliance because um, we have a, a smallish HGV fleet of about 20. Yeah. And then also vehicle compliance issues that come up. So, so it does strike me that you're back in the, in the, in the truck business anyway. Yeah. Yes. Indirectly. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, did, I mean, I, at 21, I did pass my HGV test. Uh, I did did a bit. I did do a bit of driving for my dad when he was running a company, um, yeah. but I into it full time as a career because I was 
actually quite good at being an agricultural engineer in the end. So, <laughs> and so the sec- sectors that Glendale they'll cover. Obviously, there's, there's grass maintenance and hedges and trees and drainage uh, and, and arboriculture. Is, is that the extent of it, or do you get into uh, what sort of other work might you get involved in? Um, we get involved at well, so there's, there's the core grounds maintenance, landscaping work, uh, arboriculture. Uh, we have a, a sports pitch and uh, renovation company. Uh, we have the tree lifting company called Civic Trees, which is part of Glendale, which they actually move full-grown trees. Yes. Um, we have the golf side. Uh, the, there are some outdoor pursuit companies that we have as well, but they're more aligned to the leisure side than the Glendale side. Yeah. Um, we have a division that um, makes golf courses and rebuilds golf courses and refurbishes them, etc. So. so it's quite a wide portfolio then. And in terms of service support, then um you, you you've got to, have you got your own team of uh, technicians and how much do you rely on them and how much do you rely on on dealers uh, so we have um the odd contract uh, where it's a reasonable size will have its own engineer on site in their own workshop we tend to rely on third-party repairers far more now than we ever used to so we use dealers um and I'd say one-man bands, but they're actually they're, they're more than one-man bands in certain places. So we, we tend to use outside repairers a lot more than we do our own internal repairers. The need to keep up with the technical changes with all the manufacturers and their machinery is such now that it's actually better to rely on the dealer who has got all of that knowledge and experience and is constantly training their staff than have to have our own department where we are constantly having to do that internally. And as far as the, the, the operators of uh, of the equipment are concerned, um, how easy is it to to uh, to recruit people um, and train them? Um, and what's their background normally then, Neil? Uh, it seems to be getting harder and harder to recruit staff. Uh, we we constantly seem to have some staff shortages for operators. We have a core seasonal staff that seem to come back every year, year on year, um, which is good. Uh, if we need extra seasonal staff, we do struggle in some places to recruit those. General training is, is a burden which is undertaken by the contracts locally, and they deal with that locally themselves. And they can come from any sort of background. We have guys who join us who are, uh, have been working on a farm that drive our tractors. Uh, we have former office workers that come and pilot strimmers. Um, the backgrounds range widely of the people that we employ. Do you find there's more interest at the moment in 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 people taking, uh, bearing in mind the jobs situation at the moment, taking jobs outside and uh, in your sort of line? Uh, there seems to be more interest in it. But so, <laughs> I was speaking to a contract manager the other day, and he said they they had a, a big influx of inquiries. But once people worked out what the job was, they weren't particularly after that. So on a day like today, where the sun's shining and the skies are blue, yeah. Uh, seems a very attractive job it's not quite so attractive as it was last week when it was pouring rain and freezing cold and the wind was blowing yeah so so how would you um sum up the the biggest sort of kind of logistical problems that you get on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis uh what are the what are your biggest headaches then neil um our biggest headaches i think are probably making sure that the machinery is up together and uh, in the right place. We do get issues with, with transporting machinery, um, mainly due to the fact that we suffer from a lack of people with trailer licenses these days uh, to be able to move equipment around. So 
I suppose logistically, it's probably that. It's, it's the moving of equipment. We're having to reach, uh, change our fleet to be uh, less trailer-orientated and more um, sort of beaver-tail vans to be able to move the equipment around with. Another uh, particular issue is when uh, contracts start or indeed contracts are coming to an end. Uh, uh, presumably that's quite time-consuming, is it? Uh, yeah, so like this time of the year at the moment, we've got a few contracts that are starting. So it's it's a case of making sure that all the equipment arrives for the start date or very soon after so we can then start working with it. Um, flip side of that, when we're closing contracts down, it's it's trying to keep the contracts working right up to the last minute and then being in a position to withdraw all the equipment or redeploy elsewhere in the company. And, and has the standards that you were required to work with, have they changed over time? Are, are, are people more uh, demanding of the standards that you do or, or do they tend to remain the same? The, the standards have risen, I think. The people expect more now for their, more for their buck, as it were, for less money in some cases. <laughs> It's not always the case. I mean, some some places have stayed the same, and some have got slightly worse. But yeah, it's pretty it's pretty much it is quite difficult to manage to de- deliver for the price that sometimes is quoted. During the last twelve months, nearly two years now, and uh, there's obviously been well t- twelve months particularly um, because we're coming up to the anniversary of when they sort of locked us all down. Uh, what have been your difficulties in operation, uh, keeping the operations going? Because uh, obviously the seasons never stop, as we keep on saying. Um, and grass keeps on growing and leaves fall off trees and goodness knows what. So what, what have you been faced with over the last 12 months then, Neil? Quite often our teams work in two or three-man teams, so we've been splitting those up and running them in separate vehicles. And luckily we had enough vehicles to be able to do that. Um, we've had issues with uh, machinery repairers where uh, they've either had issues with staff going into isolation or being furloughed. Um it seems to be at the moment a nationwide delay in being able to schedule parts due to various issues. So if parts have got to come from the other part, the other side of the world, there seems to be a lack of containers that are moving around at the moment and a lack of flights to be able to put parts on. So there are some delays in that. Brexit has caused us a few issues recently, but uh, the main problems with COVID were the fact that the staff having to isolate. Um, so some, some of the dealers were struggling to have enough staff to be able to not only cope with us, but everyone else that there was uh, making demands on them. Yeah. Did you did you lose the services of, of many staff sort of for periods during the year? Uh, we lost a few. Um, we were very lucky, I think. We've not lost uh, many days' work from having staff isolating. Um, we seem to have been fairly lucky on that front. Um, we, we had to furlough a, co- a couple of contracts um, for a limited amount of time because most of their work was based on assisted housing and their client wouldn't let their staff or our staff uh, go into people's garden. Um, but apart from that, we've pretty much continued to work as normal. Oh, good. And yeah. Indeed, in some places, our carry-on working um, to maintain green spaces, so parks, etc. You mentioned uh, difficulty in getting parts, uh, which is a, a story, uh, an issue going around the, the industry at the moment. There is general uh, d- difficulties with obtaining both parts and actually whole goods at the moment, machines. Uh, yes. Is that yes. any concern to you that you, you, you can't get machines that you would like to lay your hands on because of shortages at the moment? Uh, we have seen some delays um, in machines for contracts that are starting um, soon. Uh, we the decision sort of late on last year, October, November, we actually pre-ordered some machines on the proviso that we were going to need them. And luckily we did that. 
uh, because we did need them. Some of the lead times at the moment for, the, for items we're looking at, at the moment, some of the lead times are stretching out to the end of the summer. So it's it's almost a point of do we keep on with the orders or do we not bother now? Because by the time the machines get here, the season will be over. Yeah, I think everybody's suffering from that at the moment because there's a few places I've spoken to recently about hire machines and they don't have any stock of hire machines because of that very reason. People are hiring because of the lead times. When you're setting down a schedule for the purchase of machinery, uh, what's your main criteria then? Is it always price or or is it availability or is that the, what sort of relationship would you have with the dealers and so on? How does that work? Uh, price is quite important. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine. Be reminded, price is always important. Uh, but it, I mean, the relationship we have with the dealers, the contract location, and the suitability of the equipment for that contracts workload are all things we consider um we, we quite often will purchase machinery from the dealer nearest to the contract um and use that dealer to supply the machinery uh, and we're not particularly brand specific we will buy equipment that suits us and works for us yeah uh, we will pay more for a machine if it does the job yeah uh, we, won't, we tend not to go and buy as cheap as possible just because it's it will do the same job as something else we we're trying to look for the best value for money as it were uh also we look for enough flexibility that if for some reason that machine is then not required on that contract or the contract closes we have the flexibility to move it somewhere else within the company and use it so for that reason we don't we don't try we try not to buy too many one-offs and we do buy one-offs um, for various things and then sometimes we struggle to place them in, in other contracts but we will buy them if that's what the contract requires and 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 how do you um generally keep uh, your management teams uh who may not be uh completely au fait with the machinery world how, how do you keep them abreast of uh, either what's happening or what they should be looking at and uh, your your priorities and so on uh, well i work very closely with the with the contract managers um um, sometimes there's an interface between them and uh, my commercial director. Uh, we will get updates from manufacturers. Sometimes the contract managers will tell us they've seen something that looks um, new and exciting. But we will usually keep them abreast of any developments and manufacturers are feeding to us and then try and specifically direct it to the contracts that we think that would benefit from that machinery. And then we arrange demonstrations, etc. Um, so they can view the machinery on their site and see whether it would actually suit what they're doing. You mentioned the relationship between yourself and dealers and suppliers. Um, presumably that's quite crucial for them to be able to keep you informed of, of developments and what's happening and technical changes and so on and so forth. Uh, so do you, you presumably have quite a close uh, relationship with uh, a number of dealers across the country, do you? Yes, yeah. I mean, de dealers will update us of some anything that's coming out. Um, uh, the, the close relationship with dealers works really well when we sometimes have an issue with uh, between a contract and a dealer. Um, usually, a, it's a communication issue which we can sort out. And um, I have a unique perspective having come out of a dealer, but sometimes I can see it from the dealer's point of view as well as uh, us as the client's point of view. Um, but manufacturers will update us and will make a point of either giving us demo machines or making us aware of new developments in their, their particular line of equipment that they're bringing out. Yeah. Do, do you ever act as a little test bed for new products? Uh, we have done, yes. There are, there are several manufacturers that will give us pre-production models to trial. Um, usually, I think, to see if we can break them, but <laughs> we do. 
we'll trial them extensively and then we'll give them a lot of feedback and then in some cases designs have changed because of the feedback we've given them so sure. i mean they, they'll do it with our competitors as well they'll put it into a lot of the the large contractors to see how they perform and uh, because we we're giving them extensive use all through the system they can get feedback very quickly for yourself how do you keep up to date with machinery developments i mean there's no shows at the moment or demonstrations no so usually it would be attending shows and demo days etc attending manufacturers factories uh, dealer days etc all that sort of thing um i've done a lot of online sort of shows this year and updates um zoom calls etc with manufacturers with dealers with the uh, professional organisations we deal with, you know, such as UK Logistics that do the transport, um, IAGRI, obviously getting a few updates through them. There's, there's been a lot of that this year, and I'm hoping that we'll make a, a return to the shows and be able to visit manufacturers' premises, etc. because there's nothing like actually having the machine in front of you working rather than watching a video of it. That's absolutely right. And, and I mean, there's nothing, you can't kick the tyres or or, um, or poke it or do anything like that. But um, obviously we've been stuck with that. Uh, I, I understand one or two of the uh, online events. I know the Doe Show went online this year. Did you manage to avail yourself of that? Uh, yes, I did. I did dip into it and have a look at it. And it was very well organised and it was a good event. Um Again, it's 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 a weird one. It's it's still not like being there actually in the cold and walking around looking at the machinery. But no, um, it is what it is. So I mean, there's Husqvarna, their Living City um, event oh, yes. is on, um, and there's there's one next week, I think it is. Yes, um, which I shall be dipping into that as well. So they they are very good. You know, they're very well organised. Some of these events now, and people have embraced them. Uh, it seems across the industry and are, are um, making good use of the technology now. And do you think some of those elements of some of those uh, will remain with us after we get back, hopefully, to normal shows uh, in time, that there will be a place for, to save travelling and goodness knows what, for that type of technology? Um, I think there will be, yes. I think it will be much more prevalent now in the industry, um, and, and not just in our industry, but in everybody's. I think everybody's going to be going down that sort of route now. Well, look, this is really interesting. Thank you. I really do thank you for your time today. Lastly, Neil, what's the most satisfying or or even most frustrating, but most satisfying uh, parts of your job? Uh, The most satisfying thing, I think, would be um, being presented with a problem um, within a contract that needs uh, a machine to resolve that problem, coming up with a solution, following it through after speaking with manufacturers, dealers, getting the machine on site to finally Glendale uh, as a company purchasing that machine and then working and improving the concept on the on the contract. I think that's the most satisfying thing. It's, it's a problem-solving thing, which harks back to the original agricultural engineering. It's, it's problem-solving yeah. Yeah, and, way, and, but it is still problem-solving. And teamwork as well, presumably. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly smallish dog in, in the team. I mean, we work with the commercial department, the staff on the ground, uh, and the contract managers and the manufacturers and the dealers. So it, it does all come up as a, a huge team to present something to the, to the guys on the ground and actually get it working. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, look, Neil, I really do uh, appreciate it. It's been really interesting talking to you and, and finding out a little bit more about your, your route into agricultural engineering uh, and also some of the issues that you are faced with uh, with Glendale. So might I wish you well for the rest of the season? I hope it all goes well and to plan. I'm sure there will be successes and, and, and frustrations. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure there will. It's part of the game. But, but thank you very much indeed. Uh, thanks for talking to you. That's brilliant. Thank you very much.
Thank you. My, that was fascinating. Now, Neil would fall into the category probably of poacher turned gamekeeper, moving from a senior role within a dealership to now being a major customer of dealerships and their suppliers. It is obviously of great help to him that he appreciates how dealers work and this often aids both parties to work together more smoothly in often challenging and ever-changing conditions. I certainly hope that you enjoyed his views on that relationship. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me for this latest episode of Inside AgriTurf.